everybody. Hello, welcome back. It feels like it's been so long since we filmed one of these, and it's been like four months. Yes, but four months, remember, was 45 years ago. Oh my god. Because I'm just making up time now, since time is an artificial construct. Yeah, we're we're all just making it up as we go. So, um, today we are talking about a Super Nintendo game that Russ picked. I did pick, yes. Um, Regretfully so. Yes, spoilers. <laughs> um, so, we will go ahead and start off... Oh, I guess I can say what we're playing, for the love of That would be a good... Uh, I mean, it's on intro. the title, but it, we are playing Robotrek for the Super Nintendo, which was... I, I'd seen the cover of Robotrek... But I never knew it was a JRPG. And does the cover really do it justice? <laughs> no. But uh, let's go ahead and begin with personal history. personal history with this game um the reason that i picked it is that this was one of those games i i never owned it i just rented it one time from my local video store when i was a child and goofed around with it for a little bit and then didn't think about it for 25 years and then we started doing this project and i'm like oh there's an rpg called robotrek that we should probably play at some point and review not not nearly as fascinating a personal history as I normally have with these games. Um, well, I like it when your personal history isn't just, I, I had it, I played it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so as is normal, or as is common, I should say, uh, I don't have any personal history with this game. So I, I did a little research here. And in Japan, the game was known as Slapstick. Slapstick, yes. Uh, Robotrek was developed by Quint, which was a publisher that made a lot of notable games. Mm -hmm. And then this. Uh, <laughs> it was published by Enix for the Super Nintendo in 1994. And obviously, as the name would imply, the game is not meant to be taken too seriously. So I don't have a lot of personal history or anything else to fill in this topic with, so we can move on to story and characters. I wish I had a piece of paper to pop. It always feels better. Can you grab me a sheet of paper from that container over there? It always feels better when I can pop the paper before reading my synopsis. Thank you. Now, in theater of the mind, everybody at home can pretend this blank piece of paper is uh, an actual piece of paper with my review on it, and not that my review is digitized. So, <clears throat> Your hero wants to be the very best, like no one ever was. To build robots is his real quest, to train them is his cause. In a world full of armies of hackers, you, the son of a famous inventor, must invent and maintain robots in order to save the world. Your goal is to actually gather a set of mystical stones of great power before the evil hacker army can do it. Only, that's what your dad was trying to do and he wasn't real good at it, because you're going to beat him to it. That synopsis sounds like a very different game than what we played. This game gets real weird because it starts out as Pokemon, but with robots. Right. Then it becomes a time travel game. <laughs> and then it becomes a transplanetary game with aliens. Yeah. Like, the game just keeps trying to one-up itself in weirdness. Yeah. 
And I'm going to start doing something with this game that I haven't done before, but I'm going to do it moving forward okay. in this section. So one of the things I almost always do for a game that we're going to review on uh, Home on the RNG is I go to a website called How Long to Beat. Okay. So that I can get an idea of the investment I'm about to make. Do they take into consideration speed running on How Long to Beat? They don't. Okay. Uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar with How Long to Beat, I'll try and be real fast about this. They break it down into three categories. Okay. One, and I'm, I can't remember the exact names they use, so I'm not going to try. But the first category is basically if you were just to sit down and, like, your goal was just to beat this game. Not speedrunning style with glitches yeah, and whatnot, sure, right. but, like, I am going from A to B and done. Right. They list the app. People report their run times okay. and they average them together and they give how long that is. Then there's main game plus extras. This is where I generally fall where, yeah, I'll do most of the side quests, but at a certain point... I'm just going to beat the game. Okay, right. And then right. there's the completionist run. Okay. So each game has three categories, and sometimes that completionist run is like, you know, main story, 30 hours. Completionist run, 150 hours. Yeah. So what I do is I'm kind of doing an average of main game and main game plus extras. Yeah. So I'm kind of giving my own average, but this game is about 29 and a half hours. Okay. And I just, I, I look that up so I know what I'm in for, and I figure why not go ahead and put that into the reviews. That's interesting. I, I was unfamiliar with the website, so thank you for the information. Yeah, it's a great resource uh, that I use a lot for these because JRPGs take a lot of time. One of the problems I had, really getting off topic, but I'll try and make it brief. When we played uh, Trails in the Sky, yes, I got impatient with the game because I felt like it was taking, like at a certain point, like I've invested enough time, this story should be over. <laughs> and that's not fair to the game. Yeah. If I had known going into it the length, I would have been better prepared for the I length. See. Because I do get a little antsy when I'm playing games for review purposes, because like I got to get to the next one. Yeah. Like so, uh, I, I'm going to start including that in story you didn't and characters. Want to hear the whole saga of Sammy the Maid? I do. In Trails. So uh, back to Robotrek, though. Yeah. Robotrek is about a 30-hour game, which is, I'd say, average, maybe slightly longer than average for a Super Nintendo JRPG. Yeah. 20 to 30 hours feels average for those to me. True, yeah. Yeah, Russ, did you want to talk about the great characters? Yeah, so many great characters in this game, like... Dot, 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 <laughs> dot, 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 there, dot. There are characters, but uh, none of them are particularly noteworthy. No, I, um, yeah, I don't really remember anyone in this game. What about the crab? <laughs> the, 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 the good old crab. He was the leader of the hackers in the beginning, and then he yeah. helps you out at the end when he turns back into a normal crab. Yeah. This game just... The plot gets so weird that the characters stop mattering. Right. There's a reason it was called Slapstick, because it has about as much character development as a Three Stooges episode. So we can move on to what you guys are really here for, the combat system. combat system it is i called it pokemon but for robots because your character never combats right you can you build up to three robots in your lab 
and you can switch out between them in combat. Only one robot fights at a time. It is grid-based. You move your character around the grid and select actions. It's very odd because it's grid-based, but it also looks like a Super NES Final Fantasy Battlefield. Yeah, because it's it's side-to-side -side orientation. Yeah, with, with your robot on one side and the enemies on the other, but then you have to move around the grid and position your robot, and I had, had no recollection of that from playing this as a child. <laughs> so when I first got into my first battle, I'm like, what is even happening? Why can't I hit the enemies? What have I gotten myself into? What is happening was the same response I had. <laughs> uh, because there's also treasure chests at the start of battles randomly placed yeah. on the field. And if you can hit them with a melee weapon, then you open the chest. And sometimes it's something good, like a big experience boost or leveling up everything equipped on your robot. Yeah. Other times it'll damage you. Yeah. I had one that one shot killed me once. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, the battles also start off with a bonus timer. When the timer runs out, the treasure chests all disappear. Yeah. And the timer's real short. Very, very short. To the point that I never even bothered with the treasure chests after just... Well, once I learned that uh, a thing that can happen is leveling up everything equipped to your robot, I could not ignore the treasure chest because oh. that's too useful. Yeah. So if you can beat the battle while there's time left on that timer, you also get bonus XP, which is actually called MB in this, because mm. it's megabytes for your robot. Megabytes. Your character levels up at certain megabyte values, and then you can turn those megabyte values into points to level up your robot. Which is all very true and very broken. So the way that I got through this game in terms of the battle system, because it was not what one would traditionally call fun. <laughs> and I have made Jeff choke on his water for some reason by saying that. Because the way you phrased very accurate. I just didn't want to spray water all over everything. And that's almost, you made me do a spit take almost. That was, <clears throat> go ahead. Yeah. It is not what it's one not, would traditionally call fun. It's not what one fun. would traditionally call fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. So... I love my speedruns, so I watched a large majority of a speedrun for Robotrek and figured out the secret to winning every non-boss battle in the entire game is that you can set... So, you can set your robot to macros, basically, because your robot has, like, a melee attack and a gun attack, and you can, well, it depends on what you equip them with. What you equip them with, absolutely. But you can you can set uh, macros where you just hit you you assign actions. If I hit to a the command, left button, correct, the left trigger, yeah. then he attacks with his sword. Then he blasts the area with a bomb, and then right. he shoots. And his you gun. get caught. You get like combo attacks out of that. Yeah. So the key to doing it is there's one particular series that you can set up that just no matter where you are on the battlefield, so it, it ignores all the grid-based stuff, and you just automatically go and do a giant melee attack to all the enemies on the screen. And if you pour all of your points into power, then it will just instantly kill every enemy that is on the screen. You can reduce yourself down to 1 HP and just pour all of your points into power and just get an instant kill in every single battle. I didn't quite min-max myself that like that. that is how I got through the game. I had then to struggle. You just have to 
respec yourself because that's the thing. You can take points in and out of your of all your robot stats as needed at your little workshop. So you run through the whole game with everything poured into power and having one HP. Then you get to a boss and you just have to respec your robot so that you actually do have some HP and some survivability. And then you defeat that boss and then you go back to having one HP and all of the power. So, Which makes the game quite broken. Yeah, it sounds like but it. But it is also very convenient to get through this slapstick game to experience the story. And to be able to talk about it in review. <laughs> so if you aren't breaking the game, though, like Final Fantasy Adventure, certain enemies are weak to certain weapons. Although it seems like an axe works against almost everything. You know what they're also weak to? The super Is attack, just yeah. pouring all of your points into power and using literally anything. No, I was, I, I was playing through going, oh, it's these guys use the gun on these guys. Oh, okay. it's these guys use the bombs on these guys. Combat actually gets a lot better if you're not playing Russ's style. <laughs> when you learn that there are shortcut commands, LR and X just use different uh, attacks that are equipped to your robot. Right. Without you having to go, all right, go to the attack menu, go down to bomb, use this bomb, right. just hit L. You know, it, which was actually pretty nice. It made the combats much more endurable. I did like, I will say that I did like that system, Fantasy Star 4... Um, also has a macro system where you can set all of your commands to all of your characters and then you can just hit, Well, Fantasy like, Star 2 required that system. True. Fantasy Star 4 actually made it good, though. Uh, let's see. I've got one last... Oh, no. I've got two more notes about the combat system. So enemies can just teleport or swap places with each other. It's like a free action. Mm -hmm. At any point during any combat, enemies will just swap places with each other. Which kind of sucks when you're trying to build a strategy for the most efficient way to clear out a battlefield. Right. And then different types of attack take different time to recover a charge from. And you can only take your turn when you're at a full charge. Right. Your map clearing macro, if it didn't kill everything on the screen, you'd just be sitting there forever. You'd be a sitting duck, absolutely. Yeah. But combat is complicated and not fun, really. And as Russ points out, easily breakable. Very easily breakable, which I actually enjoy a breakable battle system. Well, sure, because that way you can focus on the story. Right, which is which was so amazing that we oh, spent man. so much time covering it. The story's just, it really is like they were in a meeting trying to one-up each other. Right. There's a weird feeling I had while playing it that, like, I don't know if this came out before or after Earthbound, but this was just the feeling that I got. It's like... Somebody on that development team played Earthbound and said, what a quirky, charming, wonderful little game. Let's make one of those. <laughs> and that they had nobody with the requisite skill on the team to come up with anything that was really as quirky or charming as Earthbound was. That's fair. Yeah. So we're going to move on to innovations. This game does have some. <laughs> does right because this game does a couple of things right mm -hmm. i always love it when there are hidden objects throughout the world because it gives your character it gives you an excuse to examine that dresser good examine for you that. i suppose i always like that in a game it encourages me to investigate everything uh, there are hidden objects 
And this game actually does a nice little touch to it. Whenever you're examining random objects, your character pulls out a magnifying glass to look at it. (laughs) It's a cute little animation. Like, okay, I like, that's a nice touch. That's cute, yeah. What I didn't like about the fine things in dressers is that some of the hidden items are just also on random squares on the map. And that's what drives me in. Yeah, no, that's that, that I'm not Which okay with. I did not realize about this game until I watched that speedrun of it, which, of course, the speedrunners are going to know exactly which square, what items they need. I didn't know map. about it until now. Yeah. So there are just random squares in towns and on battlefields and things that will just have, like, a thousand money just, like, laying there. Yeah, not a fan of that. You just have to know. No, I like it when it there's objects like yeah. look look in this jar right i actually don't like it to get off on that tangent a little bit i actually don't like it because i remember playing golden sun and golden sun has that but it's really really scarce like it's not like a lot not a lot of the barrels or whatever are gonna have things in them and you can enter a room in golden sun and there can be like 30 barrels and one barrel is going to have <laughs> something inside of it. And it actually drives me crazy. So good for you. Good for you for finding that uh, as a likable thing in this game. But I just don't. So you have a robot building machine that you have access to. Yes. That looks like a, that looks like a Famicom controller. And there are two little gnomes that live inside the machine. Then they come out to build the robots for you. And I just think that's weird. What do those gnomes do? Yeah, it is weird. They, um, it's kind of like you have them tied up in the basement until it's time to build a robot. So the next thing is this game does something I like, but then used it to do the thing I hated the most about this game. When you level up, you get automatic access to your lab. No matter where you are, in the middle of a dungeon, when you level up, you can actually use your lab. Right. Which is cool. Like, let me respec my robot. Let me mm-hmm. level up my robot a little bit. That's fun. You can use it to heal your robot or combine items. It's a nice touch. Except in the very first dungeon, you are trapped You are trapped in the dungeon. There, Once you go in, you cannot get out until you yeah. find a rusty drill and you combine it with a clean item. You can only do a combination on the level up screen. Okay, I see, yeah. And I if you don't know that that's what you need to do, you will end up accidentally grinding a lot. And by the time <laughs> you kind of figure out what you're doing, you have to wait until your next level up to do it to get a clean drill to progress through the dungeon. And again, there's no way out. Yeah. This is the first dungeon, and you dead end unless you know to combine a rusty drill with a clean item which is generally a healing item for the robot. Yeah, that is true. I hadn't thought about that, but that is, yeah. Sounds like sounds like this is a thing that happened to you. I put in a cheat code. Once I realized this game was not what one would traditionally call fun, <laughs> yeah. I put in a cheat code to get to level 99 so I could just blaze oh. <laughs> through this game. <laughs> and you criticize me for using my all-out attack I, every single time. No, I'm not criticizing okay. you. I'm just, I, I didn't <laughs> think of it. <laughs> Instead, I went to level 99 and maxed my character out. Problem is, I was at level 99 in that dungeon, which meant I couldn't level oh. up. Oh. Which yeah. meant I had to start the whole game over again. Yeah, that. Because uh, I couldn't level I up. I could put a bad taste in your mouth about slapstick. Oh. A nice touch, though. Because this game has... 
this game has some nice little incidentals. It, none of the big, it doesn't do any of the big stuff right, but it does a lot of little tiny things right. Like when you walk through a puddle or walk through mud or walk through a narrow passageway, your walking speed changes and the sound effects change, which is just nice little environmental touches. Nice little environmental touches or annoyances that it slows you down. I, <laughs> I, I can see that if you've already decided to hate the game. Like, I just want to get through this. But I, I like I like the change. I feel like these are things I didn't already hate the game, but these are the things that built up over time. The game does have visible encounters, but only technically. Yeah. They are technically visible encounters, but very, very, very often the enemies surprise you. They pop up right. one block in front of you, and yeah, it was a visible encounter, <laughs> but there was no way to avoid it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a little Chrono Trigger-esque in that, like, the ones that pop up in front of you are in pre-programmed spots yeah, to pop yeah. up in front of you. So it's not what you would normally call random encounters. I am kind of angry at you now for invoking Chrono Trigger to compare to this game in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I was just trying to <laughs> explain for the audience at home exactly how enemy encounters I work. yes. It is not like Chrono Trigger in any way, except it has... Chrono Trigger or Robotrack. Except they're, it, they're basically indistinguishable. There is a time travel plot, there and there are robots. <laughs> oh, God. Now I'm just worried. <laughs> now I'm just worried. Somebody somebody played Chrono Trigger and yeah, went, we could make that. Let's make right. one of those. Uh, you can save in most places by using an item in your inventory, which can transmit through time and space, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I, I do like, I like games that don't use save spots. So this, yeah, that was a nice yes. touch that I like. That is the one thing that I will give you that was a good innovation of this game, since that was not a normal, that was not the norm of 1994. That's all I've got for innovations. Did I miss anything that you wanted to address? No, you definitely didn't miss anything. You found the one innovation. <laughs> And you um, listed everything annoying about this game. <laughs> so. Innovations can be annoying. Innovations can be annoying, that's true. So we're going to move on to the music section where Russ and I are going to try something a little different. Yeah. So uh, hopefully soon this pandemic will reach a point where we can have Chris Taylor, who is a professional musician, joining us again. But we are going to attempt to actually talk about the music. Uh, before we began this review, Russ and I listened to some of the soundtrack yeah. to remind ourselves. Uh, but we will start with what we generally start with, where Russ reads the name of the Japanese composer, so I don't have to. So the composer of this game was Ayako Yoda. Oh, a female composer. Yeah, based on everything I could find, and I dug and I dug, this was the only game she ever composed music oh, for. Okay. I can't find any other information about her as a human being. Well, I just, yeah, let okay, that's fine. Let's just pretend that we know that she had a wonderful life. Um, not that she's dead, necessarily. I'm sure she had a wonderful but that life. She, but that she's had a wonderful life and that she's rich and happy. That, because... That, that's the story of Ayaka Yodo. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to believe that because as critical as I have been of this game uh, through the whole review, I liked the music! I thought the music was fitting for what it was. 
Well, I, I kind of agree with you. Here's the thing. So the opening theme of the game is very whimsical. Mm-hmm. It is very boom, 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 like yeah. calliope, circus, like a good time is coming. <laughs> and the game utterly fails to meet that That's... promise. This game is not whimsical. It tries to be. It tries to be. It heard of whimsy, but it never quite gets to whimsy. Now, the, the music itself is fine. The music is fairly standard light JRPG music. Like, mostly upbeat, occasionally creepy. It's very synthetic sounding, mm-hmm. though. Which I think is a design choice, because... Because, guess what else is synthetic? A robot! Exactly. So I think the synthetics was a conscious choice. Playing this music and listening to this music just now, isolated from this game, it was delightful music, I yeah. thought. The music itself is fine. The game doesn't quite match the music. Yeah. So good job, Ayako-san. You <laughs> you were too good for this game. You were too good for this game. <laughs> Absolutely. But like the battle theme and even the enemies theme, it's all very acceptable. Like it's not outstanding, yeah. but it is very acceptable. The synthetic theme does match the world. So um, there, I feel like we actually talked about music. Yeah, I liked it. Which means we get to move on to our final thoughts. So my final thought on this game is that perhaps someone, one of the producers or someone, should have invested a little bit more money to bring in some kind of talent that had actually experienced whimsy rather than just reading about it in a book and injected a little bit of that into the game. I think the intentions were very good of the developers of this game and they just didn't hit the mark except for Ayako Yoda who did a great soundtrack for what she had to work with. And I'm not really going to give it a score. I'm kind of tired of giving it giving games an actual letter score because it feels like I'm saying that such and such a game is better than such and such a game. So I am just going to give this game one Ayako Yoda out of five. (laughs) (laughs) So strange. I'm going to keep scoring Actually, I'm going to give it four Ayako Yodas out of five, now that I understand my own ratings. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like the game did really well, though. Well, for for Ayako Yoda, <laughs> she did a really good job on it. So. Okay, but if you remove her from the equation, what kind then of I would quantifiable... It, then I would give it one slapstick out of four. Okay. I also, I appreciate all the new things the game was trying to do here, but it didn't really accomplish any of them. The whole experience was just very tedious, As you listen to this, you found out that Russ and I both use different speed strats to just get through this experience. And that doesn't speak well of the game for me. That said, I also don't feel like this game was actively offending me, which I have felt about many games. So overall, it was a tedious experiment or experience. I'm going to continue using letter scores because they're helpful for me to put my feelings into a context. So I give this one a C. It was very middle of the road. It's a passing score, but nobody's impressed with what it did. Uh, Ayaka Yoda did do a good job. Yeah. 
but a soundtrack, for me at least, a soundtrack cannot save a game. A killer soundtrack cannot all of a sudden make a bad game enjoyable. Especially since you can separate the soundtrack. I could just listen to the soundtrack right. independently. Or I could play another game and play this soundtrack, <laughs> you know? So, that's what I'm doing. I give it a C. So it barely squeaked by. Yeah. So, Russ, if they want to play Robotrek, where can they play it? If you want to play Robotrek, you can play it on your Super Nintendo. Pretty much the only option. And for good reason. Yeah, no so, remakes, no remasters. Not on the Switch Virtual Console. Oops, I made a little mistake there. Wait, is it on the Switch Virtual Console? <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke about the, quote, Switch Virtual Console. Oh, I've never even gotten into it. I don't know. We're going to have this conversation offline. I don't know anything about the... <laughs> uh, it doesn't exist. That's the joke. Jokes are always better when you explain them. Okay. So, Russ picked this game, although we are quickly reaching a point where the alternating, where I pick one, Russ pick one, or I pick one, the system broke down. So, moving forward, it's not... Even at this point, I don't think we can remember who picked what at a certain yeah. point. Unless it's a game I never heard of, then I know Russ picked it. So, the next game we will be picking, one of us picked, Final Fantasy Legend 3. 3. The final... Final Fantasy Legend. Final Final Fantasy Legend, yes. So, uh, we will see you then. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.